Good evening and welcome to our online service. Uh, we're really glad that you can join with us tonight. Uh, before we begin again, uh, I would like to just remind you that after the uh, service tonight at 10 past 7, uh, we're going to meet for uh, coffee online. Uh, you've had a link sent to you for that, but again, if you would uh, like to join in and uh, you don't know how, uh, do please let me know and we can help you. We're going to begin our service this evening with a, a challenging Bible reading. Uh, it challenges us because it points out the reason that we so desperately need uh, Jesus Christ. And the reason we're given is that because we are sinners and we have no excuse for our sin when we stand before God. And Romans chapter 3 sums this up really well for us. So if you have a Bible... Uh, please turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read from verses 9 to 20. And after God, uh, in that passage, has pointed out our sin, uh, we're going to sing a song of confession together, and we sing it in the knowledge that we can be forgiven of our sin because of what Jesus Christ has done to pay for our sin on the cross. So let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin.
Good evening everyone, I trust you're all keeping well. I'm going to read now from Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great faithfulness. And we thank you that you give us everything we need for each day and situation. And reminded uh, from your word that you are coming and that one day we will be with you. Lord, we pray that we might continue to persevere and not waver from you and your truth and that we will trust you to the end. And whilst at times life can feel tough for us, we are reminded of those who are in daily danger of their lives because of their love for you. We think of our brothers and sisters in those countries where they are persecuted severely, and we pray that you would bless them and protect them. Lord, we pray for those in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Libya, in Pakistan, in Yemen and Eritrea, in Iran, Nigeria and India, countries where Christians live in daily fear of their lives because they love you and trust you. Lord, we pray that they would take these words to heart as they are persecuted in such a way that they know that your faithfulness is good and that one day they will be with you Lord, and that one day you will come and rescue everyone from that kind of persecution, Lord, when you return. Lord, we're considering in your word in Matthew, Lord, the time that you would return. Lord, and being ready for that return. Lord, we pray that we might be ready in the way that we are prepared, in the way that we um, think about you and live for you each day. And Lord, most of all, we pray for those who are not ready who have not taken you up on your salvation and given their lives to you. Lord, we bring them to you. We pray that you would break into their hearts and convict them of their sin. Lord, that they would turn to you for that eternity, for that assurance of an eternity with you, Lord. And we name them in our hearts right now, Lord, as we bring them before you. Lord, we pray that your salvation would come to them, Lord, this very night. Amen.
Well, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, uh, and we're going to look this evening uh, at verses 33 to 39, having begun last week looking at uh, 13 uh, to 39. So last week we were looking at this uh, section of Matthew, Matthew's gospel where Jesus is uh, judging the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Uh, And we went through verses 13 to 32 last week, uh, and this week we continue to the end of that chapter as we look at Jesus the judge. So in order to put what we're going to say tonight in its context and remind us of what we heard last week, uh, I'm going to read from verse 13 down to verse 39. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's face. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, is bound by their oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? If you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by their oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Well, last week we saw in verses 13 uh, down to verse 32 how Jesus the judge charges the Pharisees and teachers of the law with hypocrisy. Uh, Seven woes were given. Uh, Six in three pairs, and then a final woe where they are charged with killing the prophets and ultimately killing the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, which would happen in just a couple of days from uh, what is going on here. And if you remember, as um, we are told these woes, uh, they are like a mirror that we can hold up to our lives and see that we are guilty of these things as well. We have all sinned. We have all rejected God. As we read earlier in Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous, not even one. And that final woe of rejecting the Messiah is one of which all of us are guilty. And in fact, all uh, sin really is a rejection of God. The, greater, uh, the, the, the great sin that overarches all sin is that rejection of God and that enthroning of self. And we saw all of this in that first uh, part of the passage where we saw that the judge brings charges. But Jesus as a judge is not here like a lawyer who's trying to make a case. Rather, he is a judge who passes a sentence. A sentence that is passed after he's pointed out the truth that we've seen in the preceding verses. So the charges are made against these people, and then they are sentenced. And the sentence we see is that of condemnation. And Jesus doesn't hold back here at all. Uh, He calls the Pharisees and teachers of the law in verse 33 snakes and a brood of vipers. And that's language that you might remember is used by John the Baptist. We saw that in Matthew chapter 3. And he was speaking, John the Baptist, about this same uh, group of people. Now the snake is a symbol of evil, uh, of cunning, of deceit. If you remember, Satan was a snake in the Garden of Eden. So what Jesus is saying here is that they are snakes who spread the poisonous teaching of Satan which basically is any teaching that turns people away from Jesus Christ and the true gospel that he brings. And for the religious leaders of the time, amidst all of their hypocrisy, their basic philosophy was this. You can earn your way to heaven or into God's favor by following the laws and traditions that they had in place. It was salvation by effort. Salvation by good works. 
And we see that same kind of doctrine today, don't we? If my good deeds outweigh my bad, well, then I'll be able to be okay with God and I'll be able to go to heaven. And as nice as that may sound, especially when we are upstanding people and we've got loads of good deeds all piled up, that philosophy is a poison straight out of hell. It's not true. If that is what you believe, you are going against what God says, which is that all of us are sinners in desperate need of salvation because of what we have done wrong. And no amount of good deeds and good following of the law and good tradition is going to outweigh that which you have sinned against a holy God. And hell is the destination of all who teach and follow that kind of doctrine. And any doctrine and any philosophy and anything which is a rejection of what Jesus Christ has spoken. And so he says at the end of verse 33, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And the answer is that they won't while they live and spread this poisonous teaching. Jesus has shown that they are guilty of being hypocrites. And we have seen that we all are guilty as well. Let me make it clear what the, the Bible teaches generally and what Jesus teaches here. All of those who reject Jesus the Messiah are condemned to hell, without exception. And hell in the Bible is a place of conscious suffering for eternity. And it's the deserved judgment of all those who reject God, who sin against him, because this sin is against a perfectly holy, righteous God. And Jesus asked, how will you escape? And I'd ask the same question to you. How, how are you going to escape? Because on your own, on our own, we cannot escape this judgment of God. Well, we're going to see how we can. And Jesus gives us a clue in verse 34. There is a way, there is an opportunity of escape that Jesus points out. He says, therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. So therefore means because you need to escape this condemnation, I will give you an opportunity to escape it. And so Jesus says that he's going to send these groups of people to them. Now prophets, sages, and teachers are all examples of people God used in the Old Testament of the Bible to proclaim his word. So for example, Moses, he was a prophet. Solomon was a wise man or a sage. And Ezra is an example of a teacher. And there are multiple examples of each of those kinds of people. What Jesus is saying here is that there will be a continuation of that teaching tradition of God speaking to people, but by those specifically sent by Jesus himself, which we'll see are his followers. So here, there is a gracious opportunity to respond to the gospel. The good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sin and the condemnation that that brings. There are going to be uh, people that come and proclaim good news. That, that you don't need to be condemned. There is a way of escape. 
But you can respond to that message in one of two ways, can't you? And in verse 34, we see what Jesus says will be the response of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. Instead of responding to these messages of grace by following Jesus, there is a rejection of them. Uh, And we see that Jesus says in verse 34 that the religious leaders will kill and crucify these messengers and flog and chase them away. And as you read the book of Acts, which is the history of the early Christians uh, sent by Jesus, we see this exact thing happening. The Jewish religious, uh, religious leaders of Jesus' day persecuted the people of God whom he sent. And of course, we see this kind of persecution all over the world today, don't we? As all kinds of groups uh, flog and beat and exile and kill the people of God. It was helpful, uh, to, it's helpful to pray for those people, uh, as Steve uh, showed us when he was praying earlier on. And in rejecting these messengers, Jesus says that their condemnation is fully deserved. And it is coming. Let's read verse 35 again. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Upon you will come means that they will be judged for the murder of the righteous people that their people have murdered over the centuries. Abel was the first person who was killed for his faithfulness to God, and Zechariah the last in the Old Testament. Uh, The Zechariah is spoken of here might be uh, the prophet Zechariah, or others uh, think that it might be the Zechariah that was murdered in the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. But basically what Jesus is saying is that from A to Z, God's messengers have been murdered by this nation and the time of judgment is coming. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day continue as their ancestors have done in killing God's messengers. And as I said, it happens still today. All over the world we see this. Not, not just uh, not Jewish people necessarily uh, killing God's messengers, but all kinds of people in all kinds of nations who reject Jesus, reject his message, and in doing so, murder his people. But it's good to know for us, and of course for those who are being persecuted, that God will not just let this go. He's not going to say, oh, it doesn't matter. No, God is going to judge those who persecute his people. And for these specific people, the people in Jerusalem, the judgment day was coming very soon. In verse 36, Jesus says that it's coming on this generation. That is, the people of, uh, of Jesus' own day. And we're going to see in chapter 24 a description of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Romans. And when we look at uh, what happened there in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that truly the blood of the righteous came on these people because that judgment was horrendous for those people. Now you may be thinking that you've never uh, killed a messenger of God But the Bible teaches that we're condemned for rejecting the message itself. The initial charges that Jesus gave regarding our hypocrisy are ones which we are all guilty of. 
And if we reject the message and or we persecute the messengers, we are only piling guilt on top of guilt that is already there. So the encouragement for us is to respond positively to the message of the gospel that God's people give out. The message that we can be forgiven because Jesus was condemned for us as he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and then rose from the dead. The judge brings condemnation here, but in just a couple of chapters' time, we see also that the judge is condemned for us. So please trust that Jesus has done all that is needed to save you from sin. Follow him as your king in his kingdom. Now this is hard teaching, isn't it? It's never uh, pleasant to talk about condemnation. But as we come to the end of chapter 23, we see that Jesus is not a judge who is devoid of feeling. We can be encouraged by the fact that we see that the judge shows compassion. When Jesus says in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's a cry of anguish. It's like in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33, when David cried out after his son died. He said, oh my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh Absalom, my son, my son. You see how David is repeating, my son, my son. It's a a cry of anguish, which Jesus uses here when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's a a compassionate cry. They're, They're going to be judged, he's told them, in this very generation. That is coming. And we're going to see how it's coming. But but this is not something that Jesus announces with glee. He feels deep anguish and sorrow over this. I think it's worth pausing to reflect on that for a moment. When God judges, he's not a judge who's malicious. We read in Scripture that when God judges, it's not something that he enjoys doing. Just a a couple of examples. In Lamentations chapter 3, we read, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So for God's people, when we are suffering, it's not something that God brings to us um, willingly or gleefully. He loves us. He has compassion for us. And then uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what, that's what God wants. God does not desire in a gleeful way people to perish. His judgment is not capricious. His heart is one of compassion, even to his enemies. And make no mistake, Jesus is speaking to his enemies here. The one who kills the prophets and stone those who sent to you, he says. And at this time, These very people he's speaking to, he's judging, and he's showing compassion to are the very ones who are at this moment plotting to kill him and will succeed in just a couple of days. And we see this compassion continue as 
we see verse 37. Look at what he says about these people in Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather you children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's interesting that um, we see in this chapter Jesus uh, as an angry judge. We see that throughout uh, the New Testament as well. He is a judge who uh, demonstrates God's wrath. But as well as being the angry judge in this chapter, we also see this description of him as the mother hen. You see that, those, that, that twin description there? The angry judge is the, also the mother hen. And, and bringing under the wing is a, a, an expression of acceptance, of protection, of, of warmth, of, of love. Just like a, a hen gathers her chicks that's a, a lovely picture, isn't it, of, of how God, uh, what he wants to do for us. And we see God spoken of in this way a lot in the Psalms. So just so here's some examples. Uh, just, just wallow in these lovely verses of, of God's um, love for us. It says in Psalm 17, uh, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. He will cover you with his feathers, like the, the hen, and under his wings you will find refuge. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He is there with his wing up saying, come under here. And that's what he says to all of us, come to me. We're all under God's condemnation. We are all God's enemies, but in his compassion, he says, come to me and be saved. Come under my protection. The heart of Christ towards you is one of longing. Isn't that good to know? For those who will come, Jesus is not angry with us. He's not a schoolmaster with a rod waiting for you to trip up. He's compassionate towards us as a hen is towards her chicks. And we see a good balance here of the Christian life. Because there is a place, and we've, we've been in that place in this chapter, to think about how sinful we are, and how deserving we are of condemnation, because that helps us to see that the greatness and the vastness of God's amazing love and his grace. If we didn't think about how, how sinful we are, we wouldn't recognize just how amazing God's grace is. But that doesn't mean we ought to wallow in the woe is me, how awful am I, because at the same time, as we are thinking about our sin, we also, on the other hand, remember that God is a God of compassion towards us. He actually wants us to be under his wing. He doesn't, um, he, you're not a Christian because God's arm was twisted by someone as they prayed for you and he thought, okay, then I'll save them. No, rather, God doesn't need his arm twisted because his wing is lifted and he invites you. What a, what a wonderful thought, isn't it? That even though we are his enemies, his wing is up and he says, come under my wing. That's the compassion, that's the heart of God 
towards you. But the problem with the people of Jerusalem is that they were not willing. And so they suffered the consequences of their rejection of his compassion. And in verse 38, we read how, because of this, their house is left desolate. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, remember, is in the temple at this time. He's been in there uh, for a number of chapters now in Matthew's Gospel. And the temple was the, the house of God for the people of God. And Jesus is referring here to the temple and saying how it's going to be destroyed. Because desolate, that word means to be empty or barren, uh, like, a, like a desert. If you're walking in the, in the desert and the, you can't see anything around you, you would say that's a desolate place. And they thought that they were safe in the temple. They thought that as long as that temple was there and they were in it, God was with them. But God, in the person of Jesus, is about to depart the temple. And the temple itself is going to be ruined and it will be empty. And we're going to see that in chapter 24, actually, because in the, the first verse of of that chapter, we're going to read that Jesus left the temple. And it's very uh, a symbolic leaving. Uh, he does leave, but that leaving has uh, much symbolism of how God departs. And it's going to be empty. And that applies to us in this way. Anything, anything at all that we are trusting in without Christ will end up desolate. It will be ruined and it will be found empty. The, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were trusting in their laws and traditions uh, based around the temple. But Jesus says that's going to be found empty. And if we're trusting for our future happiness in our health, in our finances, in our achievements, in our families, in our intellect, in material things, in worldly pleasures... All of these things, in the end, will be empty. This is summed up well in the final lines of the hymn, uh, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. It says, Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's members know. All of those things outside of Christ that people put their trust in will be left desolate. You can't take those things with you, you uh, when you die. You can't bring those things to the judgment seat. They all will be just empty. And those solid joys and lasting pleasures are not for everyone, but for those who put their trust in Jesus and acknowledged him as God's Messiah. And Jesus, as he's about to leave the temple for the final time, symbolizing the exit of God from the temple, says these words in verse 39. For, or because, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because God is leaving the temple, it will be left desolate. Because God's not going to be there. And the people will not see Jesus again 
the true temple of God, the true dwelling place of God, until they acknowledge him as Lord, like those who did when he arrived in Jerusalem just a few days before. This verse likely refers to the second coming of Jesus when all will acknowledge him as Messiah. But if we acknowledge Jesus as Messiah now, we will receive his compassionate welcome now. And so the question for us is this, are you willing to come under his wing and be saved or are you going to reject him and be condemned? That's the challenge for us in this chapter. The judge has, has showed us the charges against us, and we know that they are true. Jesus has shown us the condemnation that this brings. But Jesus is a judge that has shown us compassion, inviting us to come under his wing. Because chapter 23 is really showing on a small scale what one day when Jesus returns will happen on a much bigger scale. Because on that day, all people of all ages will be judged. And they will bow the knee to Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord. So let us thank God that he is a judge who is compassionate and provides that way of escape. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, Jesus has spoken of longing to bring us under his wing. Uh, our final song has another description of safety in God. Uh, the song is, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in thee. Make it 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. <laughs> 